This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. It's no wonder why I'm well behind my holiday shopping this week. It's been a busy podcasting week. Hello, everyone. It is episode 116 of the Scoop Podcast being recorded on Thursday evening, the 14th of December. We'll get to a ton of Twins notes, Wolves, Gophers, and so on. This will be a notes-only podcast, so the goal will be to go like 20, 25, 30 minutes, maybe even shorter than that. If you need your interview fix, episode 115 earlier in the week, a brief conversation with Caleb Truax. I said I would work on getting him on this podcast for a lengthier conversation. Well, it turns out we, we being the Channel 5 Sports Department, connected with him at the airport on Wednesday night upon his arrival back in Minnesota. So to hear from Caleb, do this. Go to the sports page on KSTP.com. We'll also connect with Caleb sometime in the next handful of months. Also on episode 115, Josh Ani of Highland Park. He will sign with the Gophers next Wednesday, National Signing Day, Wednesday the 20th. He recaps Alita Palooza, the biggest recruiting weekend in Gophers football history. That was last weekend. Then Gophers AD Mark Coyle. A lengthy conversation with Mark. He doesn't do a lot of one-on-one interviews, so I was grateful for his time. We talked P.J. Fleck. We talked men's basketball, men's hockey attendance issues, everything he has learned doing this job for the last 18 months. So it was fun to catch up with Mark. Always good to catch up with the Gophers boss. So if you need your interview fix, episode 115 is readily available. Before we get to some Twins notes, some love for the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast, it is Running Tap online, running-tap.com. I've gotten all sorts of good feedback via Twitter, via email, in person. People that have used Running Tap, they say it is fantastic. They will deliver beer, local beer, Right to you. You can check out the selection that they have available, running-tap.com. You think about all the great local beer being produced. You know what, though? You might live in the West Metro. It's tough to get to Stillwater for Lift Bridge beer. Or you name your location. It might be a 45 or 55-minute drive. Who knows? Maybe longer than that to get some good beer. Well, Running Tap will deliver that beer right to you. So be sure to check out their website. There is no upcharge for delivery on Sunday, so they deliver seven days a week. Also, do this. You go to running-tap.com. You use the promo code THESCOOP002, THESCOOP002, for $20 off your order of $30 or more. Local beer delivered right to you. Check them out. It is running-tap.com. All right, we start with the Twins. A plethora of notes to get to. Let's start with the moves so far. Okay, a couple days ago they signed Michael Pineda. Now, he will miss most, if not all, of 2018 rehabbing from Tommy John surgery. Now, there is a chance if the Twins are in a pennant race that he could, in theory, help them in September. But he will miss a good portion, if not all, of 2018. It's a two-year, $10 million deal. Do know this. They were also in on Drew Smiley. Now, they didn't want both those guys, but they actually would have easily taken Drew Smiley if Smiley had chosen the Twins over the Cubs. He signed a comparable deal with the Cubs, two years, $10 million, just the money being spaced out a little bit differently. So the Twins were in on getting a starter that was going to miss a good portion or all of 2018 with eyes on 2019. So again, they were in All the way until the end on Drew Smiley, I'm told. They end up with Michael Pineda. They still have interest in Trevor Rosenthal, by the way, who is likely out for, if not all of 2018, most of 2018. So they have their eyes on 2019 when it comes to the bullpen as well. Trevor Rosenthal 
the former St. Louis Cardinals closer. So they may not be done signing a guy that will miss a good portion of 2018. On Pineda, texted with Twins VP Mike Radcliffe. He was on a recent Scoop podcast. His words, starter, number of innings pot is fluid, swing and miss stuff. So that is the scouting report, a brief one on Michael Pineda. The Twins on Thursday morning agreed to terms with Fernando Rodney. He does have to pass a physical. He'll be 41 next year. So we do have to add that caveat. No guarantees until the physical is passed. But they do have a verbal agreement one year with a $4.25 million base with incentives. It can get up to $6 million. I'm told he really enjoyed his meeting with the Twins in Orlando a few days ago. He met with everybody in the room. But in particular, I'm told he really enjoyed his conversation with Paul Molitor and with general manager Thad Levine. Somebody close to Rodney said those two guys stood out the most in that twin suite to Fernando Rodney. Now, it looks like Rodney will open the season as the Twins' ninth inning man, but he is very open-minded to pitching in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning. So while Rodney may be the Twins' closer in April, I'm not quite sure I would bet on him being the Twins' closer in August, whether it's Trevor Hildenberger or somebody else developing. Don't be surprised by the end of the season if Rodney is not the Twins' closer. Arizona did have some interest in retaining Rodney. The Tigers had some interest. The New York Mets had interest as well. Also Thursday morning, the Twins did take a pitcher in the Rule 5 draft, Tyler Kinley, out of the Miami organization. I'm told the Twins, this is by Radcliffe also, I'm told the Twins really love how he's throwing in the Dominican Winter League. Now, we'll track down Thad Levine. He's a regular on the Scoop Podcast. We'll track him down in the coming weeks. They end up losing Nick Birdie. The Phillies took him, then traded him to the Pirates. Did it make more sense to keep Birdie? If you were going to take a pitcher in the Rule 5, would it have made more sense? They also lost a pitcher to the Angels. Bard, would it have made more sense to keep one of those two guys, Birdie in particular, overtaking Tyler Kinley. Any regret about exposing Nick Birdie? Although I'm told by a Twins official, once they exposed Nick Birdie, once they didn't protect him on the 40-man, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that Birdie would go somewhere in the Rule 5 draft. Let's go beyond the moves. Let's get to some other Twins notes in no particular order, just the order that I jod notes down. The Twins did not talk to free agent Pat Neshek from Thanksgiving on. So there was a conversation with Pat's camp going back to November, but the Twins really had no interest in Neshek. He ends up with, what, a two-year, something like 16, 15 and a half, something like that million-dollar deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. The Twins were really never in on Brian Shaw. He gets three years, $27 million from the Colorado Rockies. Derek Falvey, of course, has a history with Brian Shaw from their days together in Cleveland. There were conversations with his camp, but the Twins let it be known that they had no interest in paying any free agent reliever a three-year deal and at $9 million a year. So the Twins were not coming close to paying Brian Shaw, you name the reliever, that sort of money, which also tells you the Twins are not in on Wade Davis or Greg Holland. The Twins did talk to a number of agents, though. I mean, they talked to Steve Ciszek's agent. They talked to Juan Necesio's agent. They never made deals to those guys. The Twins did have an opportunity after Brandon Kinsler came to terms with Washington, re-signs with the Nationals, two years, $10 million. The Kinsler camp circled back to the Twins saying, hey, Brandon really loved his time in Minnesota. Do you want to match that Washington offer? You can have Brandon Kinsler, two years, $10 million. He will choose you over Washington. Well, the Twins did not have interest in retaining Brandon Kinsler at $5 million a year on a multi-year deal. Continuing the relievers theme, the Twins were never in on Luke Gregerson. He leaves the Astros. He signs with the Cardinals. 
They were approached by former Diamondbacks reliever J.J. Hoover's camp. The Twins have no interest in Hoover. The Brewers are a team to watch on Hoover. The Twins get Rodney. It doesn't look like they'll be aggressive when it comes to the reliever market the rest of the way here. Now, it wouldn't shock me if they add somebody like a Rosenthal or somebody else as we get closer to spring training, but all eyes right now are on the starting pitching market. The Twins have talked trade with Tampa. Chris Archer appears to be an extreme long shot. No guarantee Tampa trades him. On Jake Odorizzi, yes, the Twins and Rays went back and forth. The Twins even made a proposal or terms of a proposal were discussed. It wasn't nearly enough for Tampa to say yes, but maybe those talks get rekindled later in the winter. Had a couple Twins officials tell me, do not underestimate the trade market. So whether it's Oda Rizzi, a Danny Duffy, a Patrick Corbin, they have talked to Arizona, by the way, I'm told. Don't dismiss the idea of the Twins making a trade. I've been talking about that going back weeks on this podcast. I'm telling you, with all the you Darvish talk, I think it distracts from the Twins' trade possibilities. Now, the Twins think the world of you Darvish. The Twins are very open to adding you Darvish. We know that. Thad Levine thinks the world of you Darvish. If the Twins can come to terms with you Darvish on a contract, that makes sense. Hey, if he wants to come here on a four-year deal, the Twins would welcome him with open arms. If he's still looking for six years, $120 to $130 million, I still have a hard time seeing, based on my intel, I have a hard time seeing the Twins giving you Darvish or any free agent pitcher. Jake Arrieta, you name the pitcher. I have a hard time seeing the Twins giving any free agent pitcher six years at $120 to $130 million. But if you Darvish is open to a four-year deal for lots of money or a three-year deal for lots of money, okay. There is interest, but the Twins are maintaining steady dialogue with Hugh Darvish's agent, Joel Wolf. The Twins do remain in pretty consistent contact with Lance Lynn's agent and Alex Cobb's agent. But again, if those guys are looking for six-year deals, I do not see it. The Twins did talk to Mike Napoli's agent weeks ago, but there is no new steam there. The focus is all about starting pitching. I've been asked if the Twins have checked in on Jose Bautista, target field MVP. Jose Bautista. The answer is no. Melvin Upton met with some teams in Orlando. The Twins were not one of those teams. I'm told the biggest change this year in the Twins suite in Orlando at the winter meetings, the research and data analytics department. They had like eight to ten guys. Adler, Kalk, others. So that was the difference from last year to this year. All the research and data analytics guys that were there. Twins free agents, G, Belial, Cologne, Santiago, Jimenez. No real steam on any of those guys returning. Now, what they've told the agents for those players is, hey, let's see what we do with the roster these next three to four weeks. If we don't make the moves that we're trying to make, we'll circle back on some of these guys, Dylan G in particular. They'll circle back, but that's not something they're looking to do until mid to late January. But they have had a conversation with Dylan G's agent. I had the scoop on Twitter the other day, D Wolfson KSTP at D Wolfson KSTP about Jelfrey Marte, the Dominican international free agent shortstop. The Twins had the agreement with him going back a number of months, a $3 million deal. He then comes to Minneapolis for a physical in mid September. He failed the physical, some vision issues, nothing outlandish. You know, heck, contacts can fix his issue, but the Twins voided the contract. So he re-enters the market. He was actually very open to re-signing with the Twins. Really had a good first impression when he came here, getting to know Twins officials. He was very open-minded to returning to the Twins. The Twins were in on Marte until the very end, but he ultimately chose 
to sign with the Tampa Bay Rays. Cole Stewart did not go in the Rule 5 draft, but I'm told the Padres were the team showing the most interest, but they did not pull the trigger. All right, let's get to the Wolves on Nemanja Bielica because I got a lot of tweets. I appreciate everybody listening. I was on with Mackie and Judd on Wednesday at 10.15. You can always podcast my appearance on their show. And I talked about Nemanja Bielica. I just want to clarify what I said. He is not 100%. The foot is the same foot he had surgically repaired going back a number of months. So he has every reason to want to be 100%. What I was saying is some guys play at 85%. 80%, 90%. Maybe, in fact, I'm positive of this, he would push to play at 85% or 90% if he was getting more minutes, if he was playing 20 to 25 minutes a night like he should be. He just isn't fighting to come back at 80 to 85% playing 11 minutes a night. But make no mistake, he is not 100%. If he was 100% right now, Bielito would be in the Wolves lineup. But he does have to look out for himself He is in a contract year. Here's the bottom line. He will be back soon. In fact, I don't think originally the idea was he would be out this long. But, hey, he wants to make sure he's 100%. Nemanja Bielica will be back soon. One thing on my to-do list, remember that Jeff Van Gundy and Tom Thibodeau, heck, they were the two finalists for the Wolves job, recall that those guys are the best of friends. I need to go back and listen to the ESPN telecast from Tuesday night's game The loss to Philadelphia, Van Gundy did that game. I'm sure there are subtle messages, information that Van Gundy has gotten from Tibbs that he delivered on the air on Tuesday. So if you have that game on your DVR like I do, it'll be fun to go back and listen because Tibbs certainly is not an open book when it comes to local reporters. The DeAndre Jordan interest is legit. I'll continue to say, though, it's hard to find a logical match between the Wolves and the Clippers. I do hear the Clippers are fans of Gorgie Jang, but it would take a lot more than Gorgie Jang. I just can't come up with a logical match. But I do hear the Clippers are fans of Gorgie Jang. Gorgie is a very likable guy. Heck, I can tell you this much. He is a very popular teammate. Jimmy Butler thinks the world of Gorgie Jang. I'm not quite sure that can be said about every Wolves player, but in Gorgie's case... Great teammate, great work ethic. He does a lot of good things. The contract, though, three years, $46 million remaining, is a bit of an issue. I've been asked a lot about all sorts of different trade possibilities on Twitter involving Dallas, involving Sacramento. Remember this, even Chicago about Robin Lopez. Why would Chicago do that trade? Robin Lopez has less money remaining on his contract, and he's a better player. Why would Chicago take back more money and get a worse player? You have to be realistic when you're coming up with Gorgie Jang trade proposals. So, for example, Gorgie Jang plus the Oklahoma City first-round pick that, oh, by the way, is lottery protected. I do think Oklahoma City makes the playoffs, but I guess you never know. The Clippers are not trading DeAndre Jordan for Gorgie Jang and a lottery protected first-round pick. So you have to be realistic with your trade scenarios. But I do think the Wolves are open to moving Gorgie, especially if they can get back a stud like DeAndre Jordan. I would love to personally see the Wolves add Sean Kilpatrick. I've admitted my bias going back a few years for the former Cincinnati Bearcat great. He had a short stint with the Wolves going back, what was that, two years ago, three years ago. Anyway, he cleared waivers. He is a free agent. His camp has tried to engage the Wolves 
in conversation, but the Wolves are not showing interest so far in Sean Kilpatrick. The other move that would make some sense to me, Elijah Millsap is an NBA player. He is playing well for the Iowa Wolves, but hey, his camp is wondering the same thing. Hey, what more can we do to get a promotion, to come up to the big league roster? But the Wolves so far not showing interest in bringing Millsap aboard here in Minnesota. First round pick Justin Patton off to a good start for the Iowa Wolves. I do think he'll be up at some point, but no sense that his promotion is imminent. I do think he'll be in Iowa. My sense is from talking to some folks, my sense is he'll still be in Iowa for at least a little bit of time before he joins the Wolves. In case you missed it, far from a scoop, but on Christmas night, Wolves at Lakers, Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kenny Smith will not only do the pregame show and the postgame show, they will do the play-by-play and analyst roles during the game. So how much of a treat will that be, getting that foursome all night long on Christmas night? The Wolves at the Lakers. On Wiggins. Okay, so Andrew Wiggins is not shooting the ball well at all. Heck, he can't even make free throws, so he's not shooting the ball well. Could that change in the foreseeable future? Sure. One thing that would help, in my opinion, is what about the Wolves using his off-season trainer, Drew Hanlon? Well, it turns out the Wolves won everything in-house during the season. So Drew Hanlon spends the summer working with Wiggins, but he spends no time during the season working with Wiggins. I just know, and I'll admit my bias because I like Drew personally, and you look at his work with Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, He's coached a lot of guys. Drew Hanlon has a tremendous reputation throughout the NBA. But, hey, other teams do this. Flip was against going back a couple years when Drew was working a ton with Zach Levine and with Wiggins. Flip was against having Drew Hanlon do stuff in season. So this just isn't unique to Tom Thibodeau and the Wolves. But I'm just saying, as good as the Wolves shooting coach is, it's not working right now with Wiggins. So why not think out of the box? Why not use Drew Hanlon in season to help Wiggins? All right, let's get to the Vikings. David Morgan will be back. He is out of the concussion protocol. Look for Morgan to be back Sunday against the Bengals. Mike Remmers will be back after missing a lengthy amount of time. And Pat Elfline will return after missing a game. Riley Reef, very, 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 very likely to miss the Cincinnati game. I would say the Green Bay game is also up in the air, but certainly the Cincinnati game. We'll go week to week. On Riley Reef. On Kyle Rudolph, didn't practice Wednesday, didn't practice Thursday. I hear there's actually behind the scenes a decent amount of optimism that Rudolph might be able to fight through this ankle injury and play on Sunday. However, you never know with ankles, right? You never know with any injury situation. So we'll have to wait and see how he is Friday when he wakes up, then into the weekend. I don't know if they'll declare him out on Friday. It might be more like questionable to doubtful. But there is a chance. Like, I feel confident in telling you that Reef isn't playing on Sunday. I can't sit here and definitively say Kyle Rudolph is out on Sunday. I think there is a slight chance that Rudolph is able to go based on my intel. So it looks like the offensive line for Sunday will be left to right. Rashad Hill, Nick Easton, Pat Elfline, Joe Berger, and Mike Remmers. I talked with Rashad Hill in the locker room on Wednesday. You know, no surprise, he said, hey, when I have a full week to mentally prepare to play left tackle, unlike last week when he goes from right tackle to left tackle in the third quarter when Reef went down with the injury, he said, hey, that helps a ton. So look for Rashad Hill to be protecting Case Keenum's blindside on Sunday against the Bengals at U.S. Bank Stadium. The specialist group couldn't wait to get to U.S. Bank Stadium to get some work, and you think about it, it's been a month since the Vikings have played a game at U.S. Bank Stadium, typically 
Ryan Quigley, Kai Forbath. They go to U.S. Bank Stadium on a Friday when they have a game there on Sunday. But it was Wednesday morning, right when they got back to work for this week, the preparation for the Bengals. It's been so long, they got their butts right down to U.S. Bank Stadium and got some work in. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Purple podcast. And then, you know, you get to the end of the game, and we have the same sort of thing. For some reason, and I have no idea why, maybe this is how they blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, the Atlanta Falcons decide to kick a field goal, which is one of the worst coaching decisions I have ever seen in my life. With five minutes left, they... I don't know if they ran out of timeouts. They must have run out of timeouts on the last drive, but they were getting grinded out on the other side. So they've got five minutes left, third and short, and they decide to kick a field goal that would still put them down in the game. Just a baffling decision. But you know what the Vikings did? They gave them no chance to to redeem themselves after that horrible decision. You can find the Purple Podcast on iTunes, Podcast One, or 1500ESPN.com's podcast page. Gophers football, the Board of Regents will approve the P.J. Fleck one-year contract extension tomorrow, Friday the 15th, but I continue to hear it will not be unanimous. There are a couple, if not three, Board of Regents members that are against the P.J. Fleck contract extension, but there is enough support among the Board of Regents that it will pass. I also hear there is a chance that the Board of Regents will publicly acknowledge that there was a mess going back to last December The investigation, the boycott, the 10 Gophers ultimately suspended, that there were some missteps in that investigation, that clearly there was a divide. I mean, we saw that the whole time. It was a group of five, then another group of five. There is a chance. Now, one of the guys might back out, but I hear it's been discussed behind the scenes that there could be some public acknowledgement that there were missteps going back a year ago. Recall that Fleck has said, hey, I'm not for everyone. The transfer list right now is like five or six players deep. I expect that transfer list to grow by at least a player or two. P.J. Fleck is all about Ed Warner getting the Kent State head coaching job. Ed, the Gophers offensive line coach, has all sorts of ties to the state of Ohio. Bruce Feldman first with that scoop, but P.J. Fleck is pushing Ed to get that job. It's not like P.J. is like, no, I don't want to lose Ed. P.J. is all about Ed getting that head coaching job. Next Wednesday is signing day. The Gophers will sign 26 players, it appears, 25 or 26. I don't know if every single guy will sign next Wednesday. Just about every guy will sign Next Wednesday, Eden Prairie is not having their signing day ceremony until February. But you think about the other local guys, Josh Ani at Highland Park, Nate Bow at Lakeville North, and Brevin Span Ford at St. Cloud Tech. All three of those guys will have signing day ceremonies next Wednesday at their respective schools. Some in the morning and one in the afternoon. Actually, two in the afternoon. Bo is in the morning and Ani and Span Ford are in the afternoon. Cole Kramer, the 2019 quarterback from Eden Prairie, look for him to get a Gophers offer in the near future. He is the cousin of Carter Coughlin. They don't throw the ball a lot at Eden Prairie, but he's got the skill set to be a big-time college quarterback or at least be in a position to receive a number of Power 5 offers. Kramer's high school teammate, Antonio Montero, the Metro Player of the Year, do-it-all linebacker, running back, punter, kicker, The Gophers want him to be a will linebacker. He took an official visit to the Gophers last week. They are still offering a preferred walk-on spot. He's looking for more than that. I can't fault the kid. He feels like, hey, I'm worthy of a scholarship offer 
Not a preferred walk-on offer. He is visiting North Dakota State this weekend. There's also some momentum that Illinois might be close to offering Montero. Alita Palooza was dynamic. Josh Ani recapped it on Scoop Podcast episode 115. The Gophers landing three offensive linemen last weekend. Curtis Dunlap, the Florida decommit. They got that 6'9", 395 kid, also from IMG Academy. That's where Dunlap goes to high school. That kid was wanted by Alabama, Georgia. I'll continue to say that P.J. Fleck and his staff absolutely can recruit. Their toughest recruiting job right now is the wide receiver from Georgia, Rashad Bateman. Fleck visited him in his house just the other day. Now Georgia is coming into the picture. Georgia has offered him. He's a Georgia kid. Like, how do you say no to the Georgia Bulldogs? So it'll be interesting to see if the Gophers can wrap up That recruitment, get him to sign on the dotted line via social media. Bateman has been all about rowing the boat. Elite this. I can't wait to be a go for that. Well, Georgia's come into the picture. Tennessee offered him the other day. South Carolina offered him the other day. Rashad Bateman is a big-time wide receiver. When you've got all those SEC offers, so if the Gophers can get him to sign on the dotted line, whether it's next week or in February, that might be their best recruiting job to date. It's not necessarily a Gophers football note, although they want the kid badly. 2019 Edina offensive lineman Quinn Carroll got a visit the other day from a Virginia Tech assistant. The Gophers are all over him. His dad, Jay Carroll, played for the Gophers. Older brother, Colin, played at Virginia Tech. So he's being pulled in a number of directions. Alabama wants this kid. Florida State wants this kid. He is one of the best Minnesota high school recruits when it comes to football going back 20 or 30 years. You think about Joe Mauer, you think about Chantrell Henderson, Quinn Carroll with his offer list is right in that mix. All right, let's finish with a bunch of miscellaneous notes. With a mini break here for finals, I know the Gophers basketball coaching staff is paying a little bit more attention to filling that last 2018 scholarship. I know they are looking for a ball handler. Also in basketball recruiting, Matthew Hurt, who the Gophers won so badly, 2019 Rochester John Marshall forward, one of the best players in the country in the class of 2019. So the other night, Roy Williams is in the gym of North Carolina. John Calipari of Kentucky is in the gym. He puts 48 on Red Wing, ends up sitting out the final nine or ten minutes. The next day, Wednesday afternoon, John Calipari calls Matthew Hurt. He makes him a scholarship offer. He now has every offer imaginable. Duke has offered him North Carolina, Kentucky, Louisville, you name the school, they want Matthew Hurt. Of course, his older brother, Michael, is on the Gophers. I continue to hear that Matthew is wide open at this point. He is watching the Gophers closely. Certainly, he's watching how older brother Michael is used this year. But at this point, you know, I keep being asked, do the Gophers have a chance? Yeah, as we sit here on December 14th, yes, the Gophers have a chance. Now, get back to me in March or April The dynamic might be a bit different. I get it. It's really hard to say no to Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and so on. But as we sit here on December 14th, I can tell you, Matthew Hurd has an open mind. The Gophers have a chance this second. Oh, I forgot to mention, tip of the hat to Dalvin Cook in the Vikings locker room like a week or two ago. He's like, mark it down, he was telling a few of us. Tim Brewster is joining Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Maybe not groundbreaking. I think a lot of us expected Tim Brewster to follow Jimbo Fisher to College Station, but credit to Dalvin Cook with the scoop like two weeks ago. All right, back to 2019 high school basketball players here in the state of Minnesota that the Gophers won, so Matthew Hurd is one. Zeke Naji of Hopkins is two. Last weekend, a Stanford assistant was in the gym to watch Zeke Naji 
Then on Friday night when Hopkins plays number one Edina, a Wisconsin assistant will be in the stands. The Badgers have made Najee an offer. Continuing the miscellaneous notes, had the scoop the other day on Twitter. I'll mention it right now. Frank Ragnow, Chanhassen High School alum, Arkansas center. He has a chance to go top two rounds, top three rounds of the April NFL draft. He has found representation. He has signed with an agent. He has signed with Joe Panos of Athletes First. So Athletes First represents a number of Vikings, Everson Griffin, Kyle Rudolph, Harrison Smith. They represent so many guys throughout the NFL. Joe Panos used to play offensive line in the NFL. So if you're an offensive lineman, it makes sense to sign with Joe Panos. So Frank Ragnall, Chanhassen High School, has signed with Joe Panos of Athletes First. Jake Weineke, know that name, wide receiver from Maple Grove. He will go high in the draft. He is leading his South Dakota State team in the FCS semifinals this weekend. They take on top-ranked James Madison. South Dakota State has never made it this far. Jake Weineke is such a special talent. He is a name to know, Maple Grove's own, as we get closer to the NFL draft. Not really a scoop, but I'll pass it along. Zach Parisi, Devin Dubnik, and Jared Spurgeon will join the Wild on their upcoming four-game trip. Of the three, Spurgeon is closest to returning, and Dubnik would be number two on that list. He is week-to-week. It's a knee injury, but at least for the next handful of games, at least two, three, four games, this is Alex Stalock's team. Be sure to check out Running Tap, running-tap.com online. They will deliver beer to you, local beer, good beer right to you. They deliver it fast as well. The cost is very reasonable. Go to running-tap.com for more information. While you're there, if you place an order, use the promo code THESCOOP002, thescoop 002 for $20 off your order of $30 or more. Be sure to support the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast, Running Tap. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 116. We'll be back next week. The Twins will continue to be active, at least behind the scenes. We'll wait and see who they end up acquiring. I am confident in saying the Twins will add a good starting pitcher via trade or free agency, maybe more likely trade, before spring training. Maybe it's January, maybe it's the first week of February, but be on the lookout. The Twins will still be active. They are not done this winter. Thanks for listening, everyone.